For you, you got. You got extra virgin. <laughs> What the? Thank you. <laughs> Cotes de Rones. Cotes de Rones. Cote de Rone. Chateau. <laughs> Pape. Merchy book up. <laughs> And we'll have paella with that. Paello. <laughs> Paello. <laughs> is that like jello? Okay, the voices in my head are back. Welcome to Open Kitchen. This is Chef Olive. And this is James Melgren. And we're here to talk about food again. We're going to be the voices in your head. Yes. <laughs> yes, so beware. Sit back, relax. Don't be afraid. We're professionals. Well, All we've right, so, got lots of new questions today. Well, they're the same question. <laughs> we're going to answer the same questions over and over and over until we get it right. No, we're going to do that with different answers every time. <laughs> Here's a question that not only do we hear from students, but we get it from, cons I've been hearing it from consumers <laughs> yes. for years and years and years. And that is... Boxers or briefs. Right. Uh, are we going to answer that? Depends yeah, sure. on how small your kitchen is. Yeah. Actually, I'd say depend on your age. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Not everything can fit in anyway, so... Personally, I go boxer briefs. Yes. I like those. One on each leg. That's the right. The answer is yes. Yes! Here's another question that gets asked a lot, and I've been asked this in my career as a food writer a great deal, and I've written about it a great deal. And it's a big question, but we're going to answer a small part of it. And that is, what do they mean when they say extra virgin olive oil? Oh, okay. When, like when you see E-V-O-O. -O. Right, right. Are they just really ugly olives? Or... <laughs> no, the question is no. Extra virgin is a qualitative rating. It has to do with the level of acidity in the oil. Or another way of thinking about it is, is it's how much that oil has deteriorated so far. So the, the acidity is correlating with the, with the aging? The, the, with the deterioration, yeah. Olive oil, kind of like cheese, is, is all about controlled spoilage. It's, um, you know, olive oil, there's a lot of parallels between olive oil and wine in terms of how it's grown mm. and, and all of that. But the one big difference between olive oil and wine is that olive oil, you know, time is not your friend. It's uh, olive oil begins to deteriorate as soon as the as soon as that oil is pressed out of the olives, it begins to oxidize. So the extra virgin is is simply a measurement of that acidity or that oxidation. And to be classified as extra virgin, I think it has to be below 0.05 percent. Uh, acidity. Now, there's been a lot of controversy lately, a lot written about the fraud in the olive oil industry and how you can you can doctor an olive oil to somehow, you know, simulate extra virgin flavor and color and all that. And yes, a lot of that goes on. It's a huge industry. And But olive oil is a good oil. It's a good oil. And it's a great oil to use. It's a great oh, fat right. to use. And, and I just want to. And you shouldn't be afraid of it because you've heard all these stories. Because there's still a lot of good olive oil out there. It's probably one of the healthiest don't, fats to use. Yeah. Don't listen to stories. Yeah. Unless we so, tell them. The olive oil you can actually cook with them. You know, uh, in South of France yeah. or in Spain we cook with olive oil. 
so you don't want to cook it on high heat, that's all. You just right. stay on medium heat and you're fine. But the idea of not use – some people will tell you, oh, don't use extra virgin to cook with because it's a waste. Well, it's not a waste. It's still yeah. it's still the better the ingredients that go in your pan, the better the dish is going to be. Right. So why use crappy olive oil if you want your dish to taste good? I don't know why. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to use some you know, $50, $60 a bottle yeah. olive oil to fry onions in because that would be kind of a waste. Yeah. And you don't need to spend tons of money on olive oil. There's a lot of good ones, not too expensive, you know. You want to be careful. Yeah. If you see a liter of extra virgin olive oil for $4, you can pretty well assure yourself that it's probably not high quality olive oil. How much? Four or five dollars. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you know you've got to spend a little bit of money, but um, I would say between ten and fifteen, you're starting to get some good quality. Yeah, and the the really for, for the really you, great oils can be very expensive. Yeah, no, but I know. those you want to you want to buy and use a little bit. You want to use them on already cooked food right. just to enhance the flavor, like drizzling some on, a, yeah. on top of a soup or finishing off some vegetables or uh, all kinds of things like the or salads. That's what I like to do. I like right. I like to use my oil after cooking yeah so change my oil discard the old the cooked oil and add the fresh oil so i'm sure we'll I talk like to more change my oil every five thousand <laughs> <laughs> but olive oil is a big subject and it's a subject we're going to come back right, to again right. and again throughout this podcast because there's so much to say about about choosing it using it storing it when you buy good olive oil you buy any olive oil light is also not its friend so you want to keep it in a cool dark place you want to keep it out of the sunlight well there's three things that affect everything oxygen so air light and then temperatures right so dark cabinet dark bottle as cool as possible don't store it on top of your stove yeah or outside don't in put your it kitchen. in the kitchen window no yeah it's we got it okay so good Olive oil, yes. Olive oil is good. <laughs> you have all the questions. One that I have here, how to defrost chicken and meat. Ah. So you mean chicken and red meat, I'm assuming? Yes. Because <laughs> chicken is meat. Yes. Uh, That's you, a good one because uh, yeah. how do you defrost a chicken if you... Uh, to defrost, you need to uh, basically defrost it the day before. Ah. And why is that? I read it somewhere. Ah, Okay. Yeah, you want to defrost, defrost it in the refrigerator, just 24 hours. I think that's what you do too. That's probably why it takes 24 hours, because it's still cold. Yeah, right. And then uh, another way you can do is run it under cold water for an hour or two, but you have to have cold water running. Some people will do warm water Ooh. as long as you as long as long you use it right away. So you, there's not enough time for the thing to get bad. You know, people say, oh my God, uh, like you just said, you... Right, right. <laughs> But the thing is, you have to understand that once the meat is defrosted, it's not going to go bad immediately. If it's good piece of meat, it's going to sustain. Bacteria will start developing, but it's going to take some time. So within the hour that's defrosted, you can cook it. It's fine. That reminds me again of my old girlfriend. What, the defrosting? Or <laughs> you have to do that a lot? <laughs> anyway, so that's what you do. So you, you can't just throw it in the pool and expect it to defrost. One pool, yeah, I guess. I guess you could. So that's for my defrosting. So what happens when you freeze stuff, the water gains 9% of volume. Wow. So it expands. And the problem with that is it breaks the cell wall or the fibers. So if I have a steak and if I cook a frozen steak and I cook it on a saute pan, I'm going to lose a lot of nutrients and it's going to be more gummy and chewy ah. because the water cannot stay. So frozen meat is great for stew, 
soups, stuff like that. But it's not great for sauté on the pan because you're going to lose lots of nutrients. Well, I always buy my steak usually the day I'm going to cook it. Oh, yeah. And I like to I like to leave it out on the counter, either wrapped or until you eat it. <laughs> <laughs> I like to I like to leave it out for at least an hour before I cook it, so right. it comes up to room temperature. Room temperature, exactly. You know, when you defreeze the meat, the meat is frozen and it's been defrosted or thawed. Yeah, you don't want to refreeze meat that's been frozen. Yeah, is it? And why is that? It starts to break down the. It starts the, to get um, uh, develop the bacteria. Oh, so then you refreeze right. and you regain bacteria and you refreeze with more bacteria and ah. because it might become a problem. No! Now here's here's a question for you. Right before I cook a steak, I. Salt I it. salt it, but you don't want to do that far in advance yep. because that salt's going to pull a lot of moisture out of the right. steak, right? I'm in favor of salt in the kitchen. Yeah, I am in season of fault. <laughs> I'm, I'm, in, I'm in season of fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do speak English. For the salt, how long can you put salt, you know, in advance? On it just meat? takes me a second. <laughs> yeah, good. I have to find the salt first. Most chefs are going to say salt just before you cook. The the science behind it, you either salt right before you cook it or you salt it like 40 to an hour before. So what it does is when you salt it 40 minutes to an hour before, the salt helps break down the protein, but then the protein has time to reabsorb the moisture is lost at the beginning. Ah. So don't do 10 minutes. You so. either leave it for 40 minutes to an hour with salt or you just salt it just when you cook it, ah. which is what I do. That's what I do too. Right. Let's talk about black pepper since we are the seasoning. Let's talk about black pepper. Two ways of salting. How? When do you put your your pepper? I tend to put pepper on after I cook. Yeah. But I do it for a couple of reasons. One is that my wife doesn't like to use pepper. Ah. Oh. So I season my own food with pepper oh, okay. and not hers. Right. So that's. that's but I've it. also read that when you put pepper on, when you put it on a hot surface, mm-hmm. like if you're dry cooking, that it can make it kind of bitter. It can bring out bitter flavors. Yeah. It will. The way I, I see the, the pepper issue is this, and a lot of students have asked me that. You could put it like, just like you, I like to put it right after it comes out. Mm-hmm. Freshly ground pepper, it's amazing. Yes. Uh, the therapeutic action are pretty big and the flavors are just incredible. And yes, they're not burnt. If you put it before though, what it does is it has only a nutritional value. What it does is it, it prevents lipid peroxidation, which is basically... Can you say that 10 times really fast? <laughs> it's lipid peroxidation. It's basically the damage of fat. So you're basically eating a bunch of damaged fat. And what uh-huh. black pepper does as well as spices is it helps slowing down that damaging fat. So basically the, that lipid persecution. Do you also do you also destroy some of the the aromatic the aromatic qualities yes. of the pepper yeah, too? Definitely, I mean. definitely. But health wise it makes sense. So the best way to do if you want to prevent if you want to build health possible, uh, thanks to the pepper, you put a little bit at the beginning and then you finish when it comes out more. So if you can take pepper, go for it. If you don't like pepper, of course, there's nothing you can do. And please use freshly ground yeah, black pepper. Don't always, don't buy always. ground pepper. It's yeah. And don't yeah. grind it too far ahead of time. Yeah. I mean, sometimes if you're working with... Less a, than a mile away from your house. <laughs> no, not too far. <laughs> I mean, sometimes people like to 
put things on foods and and th- if you're working with chicken you don't want to be picking up the pepper grinder so uh, you might grind right. a little in advance yes. so that you can pinch it out but that's about it otherwise yeah. if you're putting it on on cooked food yeah. use a pepper grinder yeah. they're not that expensive and a good one should last you your lifetime good idea at least okay. my lifetime but i probably won't it's live as long it's as lifetime <laughs> yeah, i've had my i've had i've had my peugeot Oh, yeah. Pepper mill for oh, 30 years yeah, now. They are and, really and I good. have a Perfex, which is also a French pepper mill, a little oh, aluminum. Really? And I've had that for about the same amount of time. Oh. And they both still work great. I will be handing them down to my grandchildren, whether they want them <laughs> to or your, not. To the people that are going to bury you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Don't forget to season. <laughs> They're in my will, actually. Cool. So, pepper, salt, you can do whatever you want, but we will know we about it. Do it our way. And that's it. <laughs> Now, how long can you leave the meat out? That's uh, a good question. Well, is it still alive? Yeah, if it's alive, it can stay on the counter <laughs> for a long time as long as you feed it. It all depends how much saturated fat is in the meat. So, for example, red meat can stay on the counter or outside if it's not too hot outside up to four hours. Chicken, maybe an hour and a half. Fish, maybe 30 minutes to 45 minutes. Yeah. So, saturated fat is a good fat. It's not your enemy like people think it is. We will talk about this with Lisa in more detail because there's a lot of issues with fat. People are crazy and they they think fat is bad for them. It's actually very critical that you eat fat. And good fat is not, for example, saturated fat is bad and olive oil is good. A good fat is a fat that comes from a good source. That's a good fat. All natural fat are good. Right, right. And you can't live without it. No, can't you can't live without fat. And you know, aside from health, you know, the important thing to remember is fat is where all the flavor is. It's oh, yes. what carries the flavor. Fat Absolutely. is what used to in, in primitive times, fat was what also satisfied you so that mm-hmm. because when you didn't know when your next meal was coming along, fat kept you satisfied mm-hmm. in between meals. But it's also it just carries all the flavor. Yeah, it's food. true. It, it's all the flavors are in the fat. Somebody wrote once that if you were able to remove all the fat from a, a steak and a piece of lamb, if it were possible to remove every right. bit of fat from the meat, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. When you look at pork and lamb, mm-hmm. if there was 0% fat in all of them, all protein will taste the same. Yeah, You could not tell the difference. So you, you can tell the difference by their fat and what they're eating, what the exercise is. So fat is good. There's a company at the Fancy Food Show. It's uh, the biggest uh, trade show for food in this country. Uh, There's two of them. There's the Winter Show, which is out here in San Francisco. And then in the summer, it's in New York City. I go to both every year. But you have uh, to write about it. And I write about it. I go there. I talk to people. I do a lot of schmoozing. Neat stuff. A lot of tasting and a lot of walking. And I write about trends and new products. That's something fun for us. Next, uh, Next time we'll do a podcast on the trends. Yeah. That should be fun. But there's a lot of companies there that are that are marketing different forms of fat. Uh, there's one company yep. that has a, they do these jars. They do uh, pork fat, oh, yeah. tallow, which is from sheep. Beef tallow, yeah. Be- or beef. From beef. Yeah. Beef. And uh, uh, what's the what's the mutton fat called? What's that? I, I can't remember. I'll, I'll, mutton I'll fat, I think. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. All right. So what was that? What was that question? Uh, can uh, it was defrosting first? Yes, defrosting then, storage. No, 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 no. The last one was. Um, Oh, uh, how long can you leave me yes. out? Yes. So, so the, the answer, answer is yes. Yes! 
Here's a quick one. Do we have time for a quick, Ooh, quick question? Yes, we do. What is more important, creativity or skill? Wow. Because we're not that smart. So what do you think? Creativity or skill? What's more important in so learning how to cook? We need some skills. Creativity is great, but creativity with no skill, it won't lead you anywhere because mm. you can't, you know, you have to make, you have to have a minimum. So the kitchen, in order to be happy, you need to have a minimum of skills, just the basics, and then you can expand. Yeah. But you do need a minimum of, you know, because you can't really evolve. And we have people, they feel really, really terrified in their kitchen. They don't know how to, what to do, where to start. It's such a big task that just start at the beginning, uh, you know, like anything else. Just do little things. And as you progress, you, you know, you... Right. And, and, it, and it does come down to experience. I mean, right. if you're going to combine flavors, you need to understand those flavors. So... So you need to have... So I have a huge experience in, with my family... So when I try something, I can recognize it. And those are the memory bank I've been putting from flavors. And that's how chefs do. Every time they, they try something, they register that in their brain. That's why you need to try all the ingredients. Always try everything raw, cooked, you know, midway right. cooking. You need to try constantly so you get a sense of what's going on and you record those flavors. And the same with touching. When you touch, you record. There's a, there's a tactile uh, memory and like that's that's how you make those and or you know when the meat is done and you touch right. it and you recognize what it feels right. from the last time so you keep doing it really and there's no i don't know creativity comes later i would say i cooked a lot of eggs before i learned how to cook eggs yeah. properly and i think most so you realize you have to crack them first yeah oh, as soon as i figured that out it went a lot smoother <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, I probably learned scrambled eggs first because they're probably the easiest. But even that, there's a little bit of technique oh, involved. Yeah. The eggs are... I've developed my own particular style, but I like them creamy and... and um, every, really simple, every simple dish can be done with a lot of poetry. Right. You know, little eggs, even the rice. Yeah. I mean, it's such a basic stuff and, and very rarely people know how to cook rice without the, the cooker. And it's very interesting. You take a simple food like rice and then you think about all the different ways oh, that yeah. it's done in all these wow. different cultures. Rice is such a fascinating food because it's... It can talk. It can talk. <laughs> Only if you listen very carefully. There, there's just an in, in, in almost infinite variety of ways to cook it. I mean, every culture has their own specifics. I mean, they cook it differently in India as opposed to Thailand, as opposed to Persia. Uh, what about Japan? Japan cooks about, it differently. Uh, South Berkeley. South Berkeley, we cook rice very well. They they don't know how to cook rice in North Berkeley. North Berkeley. What about East uh, Oakland? Ah, uh, forget about it. And Marin, <laughs> forget it. <laughs> what about the people that don't have rice? <laughs> do, do you know? Iowans cook differently than people in Wisconsin. <laughs> but also, rice is a great vehicle for other flavors. Right. Although yes. really good rice is flavorful, but it's also it's a good yeah it's, it's a great vehicle for all kinds of sauces, good and vegetables, and meats and it's spices. A good way to put, I like that. It's a good way to put it. It's a really good. Yeah. Thank you. You can. It's going to be in my can new put, book. Can you put it here? <laughs> I just copyrighted that sentence, so don't ever use that sentence or I can sue you. Yeah, rice is uh, rice is fabulous stuff. And it's basically all the techniques are similar in that it's about allowing this grain to absorb liquid. Because mm. rice, of course, is inedible in its uh, natural state and it has to absorb hot liquid in order to be edible. So there's just all these different methods of getting it to do that. In risotto, you add 
little bits of liquid. First, you cook it in. Right. You cook it a little bit in fat to yeah. get it nicely you coated in little, fat, yeah. and then you add the liquid slowly because because you use a different kind of rice, a much starchier rice. Well, uh, because also if you're using wine, you have to go slowly because you need to keep some from your glass. Exactly. So you have exactly. to go slowly in the risotto. Keep That's it for right. your tummy. That's right. Also, you get lost in the opera you're listening to while you're cooking it. <laughs> Boiled rice is is the most simple way. You yeah. just put it in boiling water and then turn it down and let it steam. So I put it in into a water that is flavored with cilantro or basil or regular or whatever. So I'm going to take a bunch of cilantro, blend that in my water and cook the rice in it. Nice. So it's a good way to make, you know, good flavors with some stuff that are in your refrigerator and it's going to go bad. Just That's right. use it. I used to add, I used to grate up um, citrus zest, like oh, I would, yeah. grate, I would oh, grate orange mm. peel on a, on a rasp and then throw that into cooked jasmine or cooked basmati rice at the end and toss it. That must be really, yeah, so you can really have fun with your rice, that's true. Yeah, Good. yeah you can add all kinds of like dried fruits and spices yeah, yeah. and nuts. all kinds of things. Nuts, nuts cheese. Yes, I try to keep the nuts out of my kitchen because they get yeah. in the way. So yeah, and, um, and I think creativity is great. Uh, I, I don't think you can become a really great cook without creativity. Right. Um, so creativity comes after, I would say, yeah. Good. Yes! I have All another right. question. You do. Well, it's not my question. <laughs> Somebody asked it. And it's, yeah. um, I think it's an interesting one. Do you use cookbooks? Yeah. I thought you were going to ask me, do you use condoms? That's <laughs> 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 no, not it. Uh, I love well, actually, cookbooks. You review quick cookbooks. I do. I've reviewed cookbooks for years, and I used to sell them and buy them right. and sell them at Dean and Deluca, and and I learned uh, I learned a lot. You know, when I started working at Dean and Deluca, my experience was somewhat limited, and I had access to our two thousand plus oh title God, yeah. cookbook cool. library. So Whoa. I just started. I just started reading the books, and and I learned a tremendous amount right away about. That's about, when he was not working. Yeah, and then <laughs> I, on the clock. I kept getting interrupted by people saying, "Hey, are you gonna are you gonna do some work today?" <laughs> can I, can I, I would say, "Shh, I'm reading. I'm almost I'm reading. done." I mean, the problem was they usually caught me reading a novel, but uh, but I did read the cookbooks, and I do believe in cookbooks. I believe that the more you learn about cooking, the less you're a, a slave to cookbooks. But cookbooks are great. They're great for inspiration. They're great for uh, learning yeah, yeah. about new cultures, new, new ideas, foods, new ingredients. And some chefs go through a big length of uh, work to to make you know to make their cookbook really interesting. Yeah, but a lot of cookbooks are just just repeated, you know, yeah, same same of, stuff. There are a lot over. of stupid cookbooks. Out so there. when you buy a cookbook, you have to read a couple of recipes, see how they explain that, and see if it makes sense to you. Just read entirely a couple of them. Sometimes you're gonna realize that actually this is very poorly written. Yeah, and our place, our steps are missing. Right, and after a while, you get to where you can sort of tell. Right, but you know, also, uh, we, I mean, we have a library of cookbooks at home. I have a library, huge library here. That is that we read and look at for reference. And sometimes, sometimes it's a matter of like 
gosh, I want to do a crown roast, but I just want to check a couple sources to make sure I'm doing this yep. right, mm -hmm. get times and temperatures. But and now we have the internet, and it's a whole different bargain. Right. right, but you have to be careful there because yeah. you can find a lot of unedited information oh, yeah. that is bogus. I mean, I would say if you're going to go to the internet, go to some reliable yep. sources. I mean, the Food Network does a pretty good job with, <laughs> with recipes. Uh, so what I do when I look online, I, I search recipes and I look at actually I read the reviews and a lot of time you're going to see that recipe is working or there's too many things that are wrong and by just by looking at what people say sometimes you get, get a sense of how good the recipe is right pictures tell you also but now since everybody's a photographer and a chef uh, it's hard to tell <laughs> from right the, you also get to know the people behind the cookbooks right. I mean after a while you begin yeah. to recognize the the authors that you really find useful yeah. and, and, and they write well. And, and a, a, chef, a chef author for a cookbook has to go through a lot of trouble in order to edit his book because he has to go the recipe testing several times. Mm -hmm. Usually they have to hire a professional tester, so someone who actually is not professional. When I say the recipe tester is a professional recipe taster but he's not professional that's <laughs> i'm completely lost now <laughs> those recipe testers are are not professional chefs that's what i meant uh yeah. i mean they're not I, getting paid but they right. usually take that recipe and follow the direction just to see how right you know well the recipe is crafted or written yeah, and it's very important, especially for chefs sometimes, professional chefs, because they tend to write recipes in a way where they leave out a lot of information yeah. because they just assume. Yeah. And and so you have to be careful with those. And yeah. it, it requires good editing. And uh, So the chef has to be a good trainer. Yeah. And we'll not, talk, just, not just a good chef, yeah. Right. We'll talk more about cookbooks because there's a lot of authors that I really like. No, we're not. And, we're, no, uh, <laughs> we're not going to talk about cookbooks anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, are you, we'll, we'll recommend some books as we hey, go along. You were telling me about uh, <laughs> you got confused with Mark Bittman's book. Yeah, he wrote a book called How to Cook Everything. <laughs> and then he did like five or six more books after that. And I thought, well, you've already taught me how to cook everything. What, what more could there be to say? But he, he, there's more stuff. That he, maybe he discovered new food. <laughs> new stuff. No, there's a lot of actually Mark Bittman has really cool books. They're big. They're, they're big and nice. They're, they're good. big. I had a friend uh, years ago, a woman in New York who was a caterer and was a fabulous cook. And she told me that uh, we were talking about Julia Child's Mastering the Art of French Cooking one time. And she said, she said, my copy of Mastering the Art, she said, I could make stock with it. I could just put the book in a pot oh, yeah, and, right. and make good stock too... because it's so spattered with it's sauce. Cool. and Oh, yeah. Because she used it so, right. so much. And I, know, I knew a chef in New York who had a restaurant called Chanterelle. Oh yeah, which was I know one of the one of the only four star restaurants, New York Times four star restaurants in New York. He told me because he used to come into Dean and Deluca a lot, and they bought their cheese there. We did their cheese program for them. He told me that he learned to cook originally starting as a teenager. He read and cooked his way through Julia Child's Mastering oh the God. Art of French Cooking. I think Julia Child was a very big influence in in, yeah. in the country. He was completely self taught. I mean, he taught himself through cookbooks and just through getting in the kitchen and cooking over and over and right. over again and he uh, just like me just like you he was taller yes Luke <laughs> this is a good one so what was the question what was the answer I mean what was the question the question was do you use cookbooks yeah so we, we do and the we answer do. on this is very emphatically yes yeah yeah we do lot. we love cookbooks they're really fun and it's nice to get other people's takes on yeah. 
various kinds of things. Yes, and, yes. And, uh, so the way I read cookbooks now is mostly I read the ingredients. That's how you, you go. You go and browse the ingredients. Sometimes the techniques are a little different, but uh, yeah. I mean, of course, I've traveled a lot, so I've seen lots of different techniques. And I can still get surprised by stuff sometimes, so it's cool. Yeah. So cookbooks are really fun. They also do, you know, good authors do a lot of research, and sometimes yeah. you learn things about ingredients that you didn't know before because it's somebody that it's because it's from their region, it's specific right. to their culture that... Like you can actually eat that. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Okay, now we have a, another question about garlic. Is it okay to use a garlic press? Well, yes, it I, is. It's, of course, it's okay to use a garlic press. As long I, as nobody's looking. As long as nobody's <laughs> looking. Um, I used to sell them and I sold hundreds and hundreds of them. Oh, yeah. Um, I personally don't use one anymore. I don't even own one uh, because I think it's just one more thing to wash. Right. And it's. You can do it just as effectively, if not more effectively, with the flat side of your knife. So, I mean, I don't mind. I don't mind. When people tell me that, I don't mind. I don't care. I'm trying to make them cook. If they want to use the garlic press, it makes it better. Yeah, go for it. If yeah. you want to blend your stuff with a mixer, that's fine. You need to cook. People We're not going to gonna go think less to... of you because you use a garlic press. <laughs> we are. I mean, the fact is we didn't think that much of you to begin with. So, <laughs> so don't worry about it. <laughs> Plus, it's, you're, you're completely anonymous. <laughs> so no worries here. And yeah. I think what Olive said is true. If it, if it helps you and it gets you to cook, then yeah. fine. I think it's good to learn another way i think it's once you start to cut stuff with your knife it's going to be really 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 fun the knife time for chef this is your you know your uh, zen time right where you cut vegetable the, the zen time in the kitchen is when uh, the chef does his cuts yeah does his cutting it lasts you know 10 30 minutes an hour two hours whatever the time is right you're talking about at home home kitchen okay yeah. i'm talking about a home kitchen in a restaurant it could be very zen and and peaceful but it also can be very rushed and, and stressful so i'm not talking about restaurant i'm talking about home which is i'm what i'm teaching is home chef think of nothing just cutting your veggies it is very very therapeutic and it's really really cool to cut your stuff so as soon as you know how and you realize how cool it is you, you you're just gonna do it so that's the step basically you're gonna go from the garlic press to cutting your garlic with your knife also there's different ways to cut garlic i mean sometimes you might want to no there's not slice it really thin <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> This is my way. <laughs> <laughs> but use it by all means. Use but it. Take it easy on the garlic, especially on date night. Yeah. Actually, oh, you know what? If Unless you, you're dating if, a vampire, then... If you both eat garlic, then who cares? That's right. Valentine's Day is right around the corner, so remember <gasps> that one. Valentine's Day. Oh, my God. If try, was, I'm trying to escape this one. <laughs> if there was ever a manufactured holiday, <laughs> that one is it. Yeah, that's crazy. We have a class on Valentine's Day. It's always sold out. Uh, we do really, really fancy food. It's really cool. Oh, I go like out of my way to get the most incredible stuff. We get usually truffles from Italy. Last year I did foie gras, but uh, this year I'm going to work with fish exclusively. So garlic, yeah, go for it. Garlic is really good for you too. Yeah, it's good for you too. It's good for you too. <laughs> no, it's good for you too. All right, James, what do you think? Are there any more questions or can we cook dinner now? Oh. I would. I was going to say uh, drinking time, ah. having a little drink at César. Oh. over the yard arm. It's time for a drink. Yeah, time for a drink. So we're going to leave you at your uh, podcast. We're going to leave that podcast. We're going, we're going to leave, leave it on. 
<laughs> Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We'll be back. Don't be afraid of your kitchen. It's uh, it's not a scary place. It's a place for comfort and fun and entertainment. Tranquility. 